Hey rippers, are you learning how to surf? But are you a beginner or a big old kook? There is a difference, you know. And since there's many ways to kook it, you should stick around and learn a few things. Because if you don't know, let me tell you right now, surfers love to spot a kook. But don't get all stressed about it, because everyone kooks it once in a while. And that's the reason for this podcast. Because the more you know, the less you'll kook it. So grab your life vest and get ready to learn. The KookCast is here to lead you on your journey out of kookdom one episode at a time. And hopefully offer you some traction on this slippery slope between kookery and killing it. I'm your host, Coach Chris, and I started the surf coaching and education resource, The Surf Continuum. Welcome to another episode of KookCast Surf Education. This week, I have a very special guest who's been quite particular in the past about how his story's been told. So, in this episode, I do very little talking and give this Hawaiian legend a chance to tell it all by himself. Enjoy this week's stories and education from iconic surfer, Reno Abalera. I come from a long line of very famous Hawaiian surfers, and Hawaiian surfers have a certain aspect that is is really part of the, 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 the... the whole soul of surfing is really our gift to the world. The soul of surfing is Hawaiian. I don't care what anybody says. And you, you, I literally grew up in a time, in place where I bridged an era that will never be again. I grew up on the beach in Waikiki with a bunch of beach boys that were the greatest, most casual, fun-loving, Hawaiian, born and bred dudes you've ever known. And I was right at that precipice where I'm a Grammy growing up on the beach in the shadow of these giants. I'm talking about guys like Rabbit Kikai, Steamboat. There's a bunch of names, uh, Turkey Love. There's all these bunch of colorful characters, colorful names, knew how to have fun, you know, would rescue a drowning person in a heartbeat, knew how to paddle canoe, knew how to surf, could dive and fish and could sail boats and, and just, you know, just a variety of living a, a life around the ocean. And, and I, I am blessed to have had that as a ground under me when I was bit at nine years old, I couldn't stop surfing if I, could, if I wanted to. I got bit so hard by the bug. You know, when you're nine or 10 years old and you, you, you know this is what you want to do. Like you see, you want to be a, a, a boxer or a football star or whatever. I wanted to be a surfer. Because yeah. I saw, I was, I saw the guys that I wanted to be like. And I, I took parts and pieces of everyone that I watched surfing. These were the best surfers. I mean, and there's a, a hot young crew behind them. The older Beach Boys guys were always gonna surf the same way on the same old big clunker boards. But there's these progressive guys that were younger, that hot, that were doing shit that I couldn't stop drawing pictures in school at. And they got in the magazines. And It was the era of the first issues of the surfing magazines. And it was like surf clubs, surf, 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 the Beach Boys, all of that. The early 60s was fucking just blew up, golden right? Era. Yeah, it was a golden era, and I was right there in Waikiki, which is like one. Right there as a grom. Is that when you started grom. surfing nine? No, well, yeah, I started surfing at nine. And, but here's the real truth: when I was a toddler, I was two and a half years old, and I can't remember if I had diapers on or not. But my my uncle, who's a beach boy then, who eventually uh, went on to a career in music and entertainment as a as a uh, Polynesian dancer but he was also a multi-talented singer, songwriter, composer. He went to New York from Hawaii and made a living. 
he ran a Polynesian dance show. He was on Ed Sullivan's show twice. No way. He ran a 50-person Polynesian dance show where they did the Tahitian, the Hawaiian, the hula, all, all, of, all of the typical stuff you'd see at a, you know, a luau in Hawaii, that type of dancing. And he was one of the best. His specialty was the Samoan knife dance where they light the, they, they light the sword. They look like machetes, but longer. You light them on flames, and you do the, the yeah, hot, yeah, yeah. Blah, 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 and they, they throw these things in the air and catch them, and they fucking really super. Like my 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 uncle was ripped, right? After a stint in the Coast Guard, he comes back. Oh, before he went in the Coast Guard, he was a beach boy. He literally lived and worked on the well. He worked on the beach as a beach boy. He hustled the tourists, surf lessons, canoe rides, all that jazz. And my mom shows up at the beach. We were living up well far away from the beach and my mom we grew up poor my mom was on welfare my mom and her, my, my dad had a kind of stormy love life you know he was a boxer and i was you know i was in awe of my dad but he wasn't around enough is basically what it was in the end he just was either in jail he was training and then he eventually became a merchant marine and then later in life he got murdered because he became one of the toughest guys in downtown Honolulu, in the toughest area, and he was known as one of the bulls. The bulls are the guys who fight and knock the fuck out of you. My, my dad, unfortunately, with his boxing skills, is a middleweight contender, truly fought. He was, in, he was ranked in, in the world as one of the top 12 middleweights at one point. His best friend, the year I was born, white boy, born and raised in Hawaii though, looked white. Carl Bobo Olsen was world champion in the world of the year I was born. He was, he was world champion, undefeated for two years until he met Sugar Ray Robinson. And Sugar Ray Robinson beat him to a pulp, and he retired right after that. But he's from Hawaii, and they, my, my father grew up with the same, uh, they, they, they fought, boxed at the same gym, kind of climbed the amateur ranks the same way, they're ranked equally, and, but they, they promised each other they'd never fight each other. So they never did. There was no reason to really. Uh, my dad never became middleweight champion, that he, but he fought uh, some very, very famous fighters. He had a knockout record. He, he didn't really have a long record. I, I think the total fights he had were like 15 fights, 15, 16 fights, and, but 11 of them were knockouts for him. And then he would, he was training in California, and I remember this vividly. He was doing road work at three o'clock in the morning, running four or five miles, you know, a night and they call it road work hmm. and my mom had followed him and she had a career as a hula dancer so she found work dancing in one of the the, the nightclubs that had a you know anyway my uncle we'll get back to my uncle my uncle <laughs> is a beach boy I'm two and a half years old my mom brings us down to the beach I'm, I'm the firstborn of, of six kids she brings me down and says Kui take him in the water because he's, he's you know I want him to learn how to swim he does better than that. He takes me out on the surfboard. He takes me out <laughs> surfing. And I remember lying down on the board in front of him, because he took me tandem on a big board. And I remember the, the sound of the, 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 the water under the board is, you know, the chattering. Yep, yep. That sound when you're paddling on a board and you hear that chattering under And I was like, you know, that was first. And then, he does all the work, he catches the wave for me, and then he fucking lifts me on his shoulders and makes me fly like this, right? He's got me like a football, right? He's about to throw. <laughs> and I'm going like, I remember, ah, you know, I'm screaming. 
and then he puts me down on the board, makes me stand. I, uh, you know, I'm like flying with him on the board, and that's stuck, right? But I go back to where I was living with my, my family, my mom, and my grandmother in, in, a, in a, another part of the island. And I didn't go back to Waikiki until I was nine years old. We moved back to the beach from all these other places we lived. And my mom was still trying to pass things up with my dad. But eventually, they, you know, they parted ways forever, basically. And then when I was, you know, when I was 15 years old, my dad got shot in the back because he was now a strong arm for a, a Korean gambling syndicate that ran the high-stakes poker games downtown. It's above a pool hall. And he got shot in the back. There were witnesses, but nobody talked, of course. And it went on, it went as an unsolved murder. That following year, my uncle, the uncle I was talking about, who I moved in with when I was 14, because my mom and I weren't getting along, um, he died of lung cancer that following year. So kind of back-to-back -back hits for me. Yeah. But at a really important age. Too. Yeah, at a really you know sensitive turning point, I was going like, my uncle is everything to me. More more so almost than my dad. My dad and I weren't close. You know, mm -hmm. he loved me. I knew that, and I loved my dad back. But I was more afraid of him because unfortunately, I have PTSD because I saw him beat the fuck out of her more than a few times because she would talk back to him and put him in a corner and you know she she wasn't physically ever going to hurt him but he couldn't handle being put down you know the typical male chauvinist and he was he he had kind of a screw loose he went to jail so he thought my mother had affairs with his friends and blah 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 he was a jealous weirdo when he got drunk and uh, that's what happened you know wow in uh, a few instances, it was so brutal because she was pregnant, and I had a brother or sister or two in the womb when she he, she was getting to beat the fuck out of. So, you know, to this day, I'm PTSD, and if I ever see some guy trying to hurt a woman, I see red. I don't know what I do, but I fucking go in there and just attack the guy, of course. <laughs> and then I get shit for it. He leave my boyfriend alone. No, come on. Yes, it has happened more than that time. I love him, don't hurt him. I go, I'm beating the fuck out of the guy who was hitting a chick, right? <laughs> and I'm beating the fuck out of somebody and I go, what do you mean he was trying to kill you? Right? It's I don't care, leave him alone, I love him. I was like, God. See, I don't do that anymore, but I don't like the whole aspect of, uh, I'm the anti-domestic violence guy, you know. I don't like to be in the middle of anything, but I've, I've had to stop a few occasions where I tell my friend, babe, babe, bro, you gotta take a walk now. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. Or we're gonna get into it. You and me are gonna get into it. I see you hit her, bro. And then, cool, you gotta take a fucking walk right now or I'm gonna hurt you. And I mean it. Get the fuck out of here. I, I, you're my bro, but get the fuck out of here. And they usually listen to me. I've been in those situations where, you know. Well, you know what? I think it's really hard to deny righteousness, you know, when it's staring you in the face. Uh, you know, it's just not good to hurt a woman, uh, you know. Uh, no, of course not. And that's know, what I'm saying. So when you stand up for what's right, you know. But, you know, you got I, I've been you. in the same situation where a woman is hysterical and she's flailing at me. My wife, would be fucking, we've gotten some nasty fights and she'd fucking try to hurt me. And I'm, go, I'm going like this, boom, and I'm blocking him, holding arms. And he's, ah, you know, when they flip out. Hmm. You ever had that? 
I don't know. Not, well, not quite like that, maybe, but... Yeah, well, I, I was married. I've been married twice, but my first uh, sweetheart, my first wife, lost her mind a few times. And then... Well, I'm the, still young and inexperienced. Yeah, well, the, in the, the, how old are you? 31. Okay, yeah, well, you're, you're, you're a young twerp, bro. <laughs> I mean, I didn't have my first son till I was 30. I only have one son, but I'm, I didn't have a child until I was ready... And she was ready, and we had the year before that was a rocky one, and then she had this thing called postpartum depression, where she flipped the switch on me and just would not stop arguing with me. It killed me, bro. We had our dream come true, a young, beautiful baby. I had to separate with her when he was only. As soon as she got off his tit, he got off her tits. She wanted it quick. We broke up, basically, and I gave her two and a half years to straighten out. She never did. Started living with somebody else. And when you live in a place like Rincon, say, the North Shore, comparatively speaking, is similar because it's a small village and there's something called the Coconut Wireless. <laughs> you can fart at Sunset Beach and 10 minutes later you go to the market in, in Haleiwa down the road and they're telling you what it smelled like. <laughs> that's a, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's a, you know, an allegorical thing, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's true. The Coconut Wireless is like relentless. Oh, do you hear what he did? Oh, you hear what that? There, or I heard this and that, and I was like, God, it's so. To this day, I hate gossip and I hate judgments, and I, I don't, I don't go there. I'm the le- probably the least judgmental person I know, you know, <laughs> because I don't like being judged, and I don't really buy into what is said about people. I, I, I take what I understand people to be like on their approach to me. I mean, you did kind of creep me out when you they told me to be back in five minutes. Now it's been a half an hour. I'm, I'm done. I'm gonna. I'm taking my nap right now. I don't care. I'm gonna tell him, Hey, Barry, you gotta go. Oh, <laughs> You're just right there. That You're car. not gonna let me lift that. No, down. no, no, no. And it's you okay. know what the funny thing is? Yeah. I'm usually such a punctual guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's I'm, okay. I'm very, I'm it's okay. You came with beer. You came with beer, and and you, you know. But I, I found out that you, yeah, you are more than curious about what's, what what Reno's. Yeah. Well, so, you know what? So let me tell you one of the first stories. I ever, so, off, right? One of the first stories I ever read in in this book called The Big Drop. I think Jeff Hackman was the one okay. that was that was speaking. Okay. Uh, but he was telling his perspective and his uh, <laughs> his view on the '74, the 1974 Smirnoff yeah. Pro at Waimea, right. and the whole background. I'll just tell you what I know about <laughs> it. And I'd love to hear your uh, all right as the winner of. This I never contest. read the big drop, but well, it's a compilation of stories, and this one story read stood it? out. Where was it printed? Uh, it's all over. It's a big. It's published like a. It's big, a pull-on book. Yeah, it's a pull-on book, and well, you know, who, Greg. Do you know Noel, who the author was? Well, it's compilations. Yeah, it's it's. But not who compiled anywhere. it? I don't know. I don't know. Okay, uh, I'll try to find it. Something long, maybe something long. Long, not like not like a surfer Greg Long, but like, <laughs> yeah, no, I know Greg. For some long. reason that just that just yeah, it doesn't right. matter. Anyway, anyway so, so so Jeff uh, Jeff Hackman's telling the story, and he's saying how it was so big they almost didn't run it, and Fred Hemming's coming down, and he's like, boys, what are we doing? We running or what? And, and he threatened to paddle out himself to show. He says, if I go out there and catch a wave, I'll show you guys that you, you, you can do this, right? He wanted it to happen. Oh, man. So and I was kind of story. I was kind one. of neutral, but I remember they had set up a scaffold on the beach and the surf was pumping. The surf was pounding. And it's the quarterfinals, right? They're already no, into the... No, 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 no. They hadn't even started yet. Oh, all right. This is the early morning when they're deciding if they're really going to run it. The size was definitely there. But as soon as I rolled up on the beach, I knew the surf was big. I had been hearing it all night long, and I knew the surf was going to be large. But Waimea is kind of a funny beast. It has to be 
Sunset Beach is where I live, and Sunset Beach is where you gauge what the swell is doing, what how big it really is, the intervals and all that. Mm-hmm. Sunset Beach has to be literally closed out. And there's a third reef on the outside of, at Sunset, and even further out now where they ride a towing wave called Revelation, which is outside V-Land. And all of that was already breaking. I lived across the street from the beach on Cam Highway, but I could hear it all night long, right? I get up, it must have been about 6.37, I hear this frantic pounding on my door. Boo, 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 boo. I go, what the what? Who is that? Avery, it's Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy. My friend from town, he's invited to the contest. My lifelong friend, Jimmy Lucas, we're in the surf, same surf club. At one point in, in that era I was telling you about in the, in the 60s, it was all about clubs versus this club, club contest. And we all gathered in our, our, our club. And it's usually at the beach that you were at, you had a club from the beach. So we, we, we compete with these other clubs. It was all club contests that we used to enter. Hope Ranch versus Freedom Riders. There's all these bunch of names that are escaping. But at one point, my last surf club in Hawaii was the best gathering of all the best surfers on the island. Well, who was in that club? It was called Kui Hawaii. It was, it was named after my uncle. It was called Kui Hawaii Surf Team. And Jock Sutherland was in there. Wow. Jimmy Lucas, myself. Jerry Lopez tried to get in, but he got refused. It's <laughs> <laughs> a no. funny side story. He wasn't, he, nobody really knew or understood Jerry because Jerry was from town. He wasn't part of the crew, right? And there's uh, Jackie Eberly. There's a whole bunch of really talented surfers. And I was like the smallest squirt of them all because these guys are all in their 17, 18, 19 years old and I was like 15 or 16. And I was like the shortest. There's this funny picture that's printed of me at this one surf contest at Chun's Reef where I'm the shortest, but I got my third place trophy, so I'm stoked. <laughs> and uh, we beat this other club and we our, our, our club won, right? And... Um, it was all, you know, like I say, was, the, the emphasis on competition we was honed by the club contest because every other weekend, at least, there was a club contest. Huh. And we'd show up at, at a certain, depending on the season, be in town or there'd be a club contest at Chun's Reef, usually, or Haleiwa. So I started competing really early, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, the competitors started, you know, and, and I already knew then that competition had its, you know, good and dark, a uh, good and bad side because... There's a lot of luck involved to get the right ways and, and, and win a heat, say. There's a lot of luck, a lot of luck involved. I and mean, if you're unlucky, you're unlucky. doesn't mean you're, 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 uh, you're a bad surfer if you, if you don't win your heat. It's just that you were unlucky enough not to get the right ways and or you, did, you didn't select what was provided for you in the, in the half an hour that you're out there. That's the same old story now. you got to produce your best surfing You've got to be so on top of your surfing that you've got to produce your best surfing. Well, now it's only two waves, but it always used to be a minimum of three waves. Right, yeah. Right? But now it's only two waves, your two, your two top scores. But there used to be that third fucking wave that man, wouldn't come through, man. It would be like, oh my God, I got 10 minutes left, five minutes left, three minutes left, I haven't got my third wave, I can't win. You have to have a third score or you're not gonna get scored. You'll always be behind the guy who has three waves. Even if your two waves are better than his three. The third wave will always pull you through, right? Anyway, that's just competition in general. And I was kind of, I won in 1966 what amounted to what was uh, 
the informal world contest at the time was the, the Makaha International Surfing Championship in Makaha, 1966. Mm -hmm. I won back-to-back -back titles in the junior men's division. I beat Clyde Aikau. <laughs> I beat uh, uh, I beat everybody. I beat Jeff Hackman in early club in in the Macaw International Contest. I beat all the guys in the best surf club from Windensea in California, San Diego, and I won it again next year. I was in high school already. It was 1966 and 1967. Back-to-back -back junior men's Macaw champion. I was very proud of that. Those two moments because. I was very proud, <laughs> you know? Hell yeah. Yeah, and uh, because at that moment in time, all the people from around the world, including South America, Australia, um, and it was a fairly run contest because even on one year in 1964, the Australian won the Makaha contest in Hawaii, uh -huh. which is big juju, right. right? So that started kind of an early rivalry between the Australians and the Hawaiians. Now it's like, it's always gonna be the Aussies versus the Hawaiians, always. Even though they outnumber us by ten to one, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and they're 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 honed from an early age to start competing, man. They in in the schools in certain parts of Australia, they take the kids surfing on the bus, take them to the beach, throw them out there, right, and bring them back to school, <laughs> like like it's an intramural sport. Right. We never had that in Hawaii, bro. I used to have to cut school to even go surfing if there's waves. <laughs> I almost failed high school because I had 54 abscesses and 27 tardies. My counselor calls me, hey, you're not going to pass. You're not going to go, you're not, you're not going to make it out of your junior year. You're going to flunk. I go, I can't flunk. I got plans. <laughs> he goes, well, you're going to have to talk to the principal. I drag my mother in and here we go, right? I already have my trophy in the, in the, in the, in the, uh, the, the, uh, the, you know, the administration office, the, 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 the principal's office. There's a trophy case. We were all very few because our football team was so shitty. Baseball team was worse, and the basketball team were totally lame. So I had one of the few trophies in the case that had Rio Abelera champion, the 1966. So I'm going in there with a little bit of juice. My mom's in, and she's all inflamed, right? She's infuriated. Huh. You know, my son's bright. And she goes, yes. Yeah, and, and, and we talked to Mr. Mullins, who's the fucking dour guidance counselor for my grade. He goes, I, it's out of my hands, ma'am. It's out of my hands. He's got Coke bottle glasses on me. He's, Mr. Mullins? I'm sorry, ma'am, but you're going to have to speak personally to the principal. He'll have the final say in the matter, right? <laughs> and I go, okay, well, here we go. We're going to the principal. Mr. Oliveira, who's a jock. He's a former football star for some team. And his, his trophy was on his desk that he won for the Interscholastic inter Championships final in 1950-something, right? Really, it was like 1940-something. But he was still, like, well-built. He looked like the football coach, our, our principal. So, so I knew I had... A little Chance. bit, and he knew my dad was a boxer. My dad was a really famous boxer, even though he went down, you know, the way he did. Um, uh, my dad was super good looking too. He was like, you know, well known, well loved man. I mean, the governor came to his funeral, and a lot of a lot of luminaries, people who wouldn't think that, because of my dad's criminal yeah, association, yeah. they still recognize his achievement. They still recognize him as a champion from Hawaii, mm -hmm. who almost, you know, conquered. So you have this little background you're hoping gets you through and keeps you... No, 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 yeah, well, you know, because people always came up to me and say, hey, man, I saw your dad box. Oh, I know your uncle. You know, he's a great surfer, talented musician. My, um, the other part of this story about my uncle is that he was... A, he, he became one of Hawaii's most well-loved musicians, singer-rounded singer composers. 
Mm. He wrote some famous songs that he gave to Don Ho. No way. Don Ho was his, one of his best friends. They went to co in the Coast Guard together. They came out at the same time. And Cooey had gone to New York. Don stayed in Hawaii and became famous in Hawaii for his style. And then he graduated to this club in what he called Kali'i's. And there's a Duke's, Duke's restaurant. There's a, a restaurant and bar called Duke's in the international marketplace. And that's where the headline group was called the Elites, Don Ho and the Elites. So my uncle who'd come back from New York eventually, he came back in 1962. And he said, I'm over New York, I'm done, I'm home, I'm gonna write music. He learned to teach himself to play the guitar, started composing songs about Hawaii in a modern way. And to this day, some of his, his, his standard music are still all-time classic Hawaiian songs now. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Kui, Kui Lee. If you Google him, remember K-U-I Lee, Kui Lee. Don't it. just nod, write it down. No, I got it on recording, man. Okay, Kui Lee, K-U-I-L-E-E. -E. <laughs> he still has, you can download, you can downstream his, uh, what do you call that, download his music, right? Yeah, yeah uh, download. download it, yeah. download. Anyway, <laughs> so, where was I? I'm kind of. You're well, so you we're. Oh, I'm in the principal's office. Yeah. <laughs> my mom's there. And this she's is ready. A side story from so she lays in the principal. She goes, you know what? It's very undemocratic that you know your 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 football players, your baseball teams, they get to leave the campus and go practice, and they get the, you know uh, scrimmages elsewhere off the campus, and they get to leave school. And my son is already a champion. He represents the school well, and you know. You got to cut him some slack. He goes, well, you know, the grades and him missing the tardies, we know he's not been sick. And I go like, oops. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he'd always be giving me the note. My son was that, had the flu. I took him to the hospital, you know, the, the bullshit, the bullshit absence notes that she, you know, she'd always sign for me. All right, except a couple ones that I forged. <laughs> <laughs> I never did. But she always, she said, mom, I, I can't, you know, I, 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 you know, I was practicing. What can I say? And I'd already won. She says, you know, I, I had already told her my dream. I wanted to be a, a, you know, I was even around 12 or 13. I says, I'm going to make surfing my living. I'm going to learn how to make boards. I can get a job in the industry. I'll be traveling. I'll go to California, which is the big place then. Oh, if you make it to California and surf there, you're going to get a sponsor. Because a few guys had already been doing it, mm. right? From Hawaii, especially the guy named David Nuhiva. Yeah. He was like a surf god then. Anyway. And he and I were friends, and he invited me. Pretty much, as soon as he knew he was going to leave, he said, "Hey, man, you got to come over next, right?" And I did, pretty much. Um, anyway, I'm in the principal's office, Mr. Oliveira. I'll never forget it. He's got his back to us for for the first five minutes. And he's kind of looking down, and he turns around, and he faces me directly, and he goes, oh, "So you're you're the surfer?" And I go, "Yes, sir." Well, what can he say, right? You're the surfer. Okay, yeah, I seen your trophy. Pretty good, pretty good. <laughs> and my mom's still snapping, right? She's going, Mr. Alvare, I'm try I don't want to repeat myself, but I'm telling you, it's just not fair, it's just not fair. And he goes, hey, Mrs. Mrs. Uh, Abelera? So he, looks, he has to look down at Mrs. Abelera. Okay, listen. Yes, this is true. You know, our athletes have to go train. So we have scrimmages, and yes, they get, they get allowed to leave the campus at a certain time. Or your son, you know, surfing is just, you know, one guy paddling on a surfboard, right? And she goes, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. It's, it's just a different sport, but it is a sport. I want you to know that, right? She goes, yes, my son's 
one contest and you know you know people are coming all over the world to come to Hawaii he goes well, I know I heard I heard, I heard so he goes what is it you want he goes well uh, you know we he he needs to you know you have to let him you know let him go surfing excuse him for, for his absences and he says well I can't do that I can't do that but this is what I can do he turns around and he's got this roller disc right he rolls back backwards he turns around sits in the chair pulls out the drawer lifts up the thing pulls up this thing and I hear him shuffling his papers around I hear him and he's got his back to us and he's got this big football player neck and back right and I'm going God what's he going to do he's going to give a note to my teachers to tell him hey either let him pass or whatever but he says okay he turns around so here's the deal you go to each one of your teachers and tell him Mr. Oliver said let me make up my grades. Give me what I need to do, the tests and everything. Let me make up my grades when time lost. Okay, that's up to you. You don't do it, I can't, out of my hands. But by the way, here's this. It's got a folded piece of paper. It's got this, the, the school stamp on it. And I go, oh, okay. He goes, and he says, don't show it to anybody. Unless you get stopped. And I go, what? I thought, well, why does he want me to show me what he wants to show me to the teachers? And so he says, don't show it to anybody. I go, yeah, okay. So we leave the office. So I do, I go, I go to the, um, every one of my teachers, it's after school already by the time we get out of the principal's end. And so all the teachers right at, all are all doing, at three o'clock, they're all still there, right? So I go knock each door and say, I have to make up these grades, what can I do? She says, well, we'll give you the chance. So every one of them did, there's like five classes that is flunking that wouldn't tolerate any more absences at all. So I had to make up the tests, I had to make up the studies and I had to deliver. So I got that, and then I opened what I thought was the letter. Well, actually I did it before, I couldn't wait. I, I opened up what I thought, before I went and saw the teachers, I opened up what I thought was the letter from the principal to tell the teachers, hey, give this, cut this kid some slack. No, it's athlete pass. But he scratched out for football, he just scratched out, and he put it, he hand wrote surfing, and then, <laughs> I go back to the office and so, hey, I go, Mr. Alvarez, thank you so much, thank you. It was a fucking hall. It was a fucking pass to leave the campus. Wow. And there's no time. It says, uh, Reno Abelora has permission to leave the campus, to be off campus for training. For, and he, I, go, I go back and I say, hey, uh, Mr. Oliver, thank you. He says, hey, 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 it ain't that easy, bro. <laughs> he goes, better win again. <laughs> I go, oh, okay, yeah, sure. Mr. Oliver, yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> And that's I did. Epic. I did. So that's so 15 I just years a little bit. old. No, I'm 16. 16. I'm 16. Holy no, I'm, shit. I'm 16 and a half. So you basically are the first official school surfer. Official school surfing pass in the state of Hawaii, hands down. <laughs> I don't tell that story to many people, but it's a classic story because it's that's true. Epic. That's so. And great. He crossed out baseball, football, because they, they they had to check the box for right, this. Right. He crossed every one of them out and, and he hand wrote option. surfing only. <laughs> Surfing only, yeah, it was surfing only. <laughs> <laughs> I framed the fucking thing, but then I lost it. Oh no! It, no, it got water damaged. It got water damaged. I forget one of my moves. Something happened. I think termites. Something stupid happened. I said I should have gotten a better frame, but <laughs> oh, it was classic. They, some people would come to my house and say, "What's that on the wall? Looks like a, looks like a." Uh, it's like my proudest achievement. <laughs> no, 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 no. My no, mom is really my mom. My mom would not leave that office without getting a positive oh, result. Oh, yeah. Well, right? that's she, what my mom was like. She was in there like, 
Yeah. She was like, she, steam was coming out of her nose. I said, Mom, chill out, man. This is the principal. Fuck, look at him. You know, he could bark and he'd cry, you know? This guy was a big, hulking guy. He, was like, he had this voice. Was like, okay, Mrs. Upperly, okay. He pushed his hand up. Mrs. Upperly, I get it, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so take us back to the morning of the Smirnoff Pro. Oh, okay, so that, in the morning, my friend Jimmy Lucas comes pounding on my door at 6.30. I go, hey, what the fuck, man? I know you're coming, but what's he goes, dude, dude, the search giant. I don't have the right board. He starts gibbering and going like, he said, calm down, Jimmy. Come in, let's fucking eat some. Here, come in inside. Let's have some granola. <laughs> I was into the granola at the moment, right? So he said, look, I'm going to make you a bowl of granola. Let's fucking talk about this. I know this search up. I know it's big. But you don't know how big it's big. He's like, white man's clothes. I said, what? Really? Okay, so we both ate a big bowl of granola. I, I, I made him a special batch. He had a he had the right board, but he just hadn't been out there enough times to feel confident. I had, right, he didn't put the I time had, in. I had been. How, I had, how big is his board? How big are your boards at the time? My board was, an, I wrote a 9-1 pintail. A pin, the pinniest pintail I had. Uh-huh. And I'd already written at sunset, and it was a little bit two penny for sunset because it, it was like it would make the drop but on cutbacks when sunset, when, you, when you pick up speed at sunset you want to come back around the corner and do some stuff on the pace uh-huh. it was just a little it was it was like this bro mm-hmm. I mean it was like a pin pin penny pin pin you know Wow. And it had this, the, 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 so the, they had the classic teardrop shape yeah kind of the wide point, point up yeah uh, a, a beautiful white pigment glass shop with blue and red pin lines and a blue and red who light. shaped it me you shaped it. Who the fuck is you going write and, it? And that's what you wrote and won in the Smirnoff Pro? Yeah. Wow. Actually, All here's right. the real truth of the story. It was originally a winger pintail where I put these wings that Terry Fitzgerald and I were kind of working together on. We worked on multi-wing designs and we were kind of out, trying to outdo each other about how many wings we could put on a board. <laughs> so I had this wing pintail 9-1. I, got, I shaped it and glassed it. My friend from California, the electric duck, Michael, I forget his real last name, Really good guy, although he fell in love with my wife. <laughs> uh, no, not like that. He's just he's just head over heels with her. I just, you know, I just, I, I had friends that just, my, my, my wife was so good looking that they would just go, <gasps> uh, you know, she's a heart stopper. But anyways, um, um, so he glasses the board, and I know it was a double six ounce bottom, double six ounce deck. So it was a little on the heavy side, but it had the, the quarter inch spruce stringer. It was a Clark blank and it had the foil that was the eagle beak nose, and it was like three inches thick, and it just tapered to a blady tail, super thin. So that was my style of board then. You know, mm-hmm. I made guns that would stay, the tail would stay down, single fins, of course, then. And my fins were always, because I'm a smaller guy, I realized that I don't need a big ass, big base fin that most people are riding. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was watching other guys who were shaping boards then, and, and Barry Kanayapuni at one time wrote a 16-inch wide pintail gun. And I looked at the fin on his board, and it was really tiny, because he, he, he knew that if the, the tail's gonna be that narrow, you scale the fin down. Mm-hmm. You're not gonna slap a big-ass fin on a really skinny, narrow tail. It just doesn't look right. Right, right. Right, right. so that's what I did. I, I, I took the wings off, off, the, off the outline, which made it more of a normal plant shape, took the wings out, I basically shaved it off and then I re-edged the tail edge. I remember putting a super sharp tail edge about a foot and a half up with extra resin. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I hand sanded that and I tuned the fin down, right? 
So the thing, Amazing. yeah, I tuned the fin down to it. It was a little bit too much thickness. And I just, I, I've been fucking with, excuse me, I've been fooling around with fins for the whole time I've been shaping boards ever since I was a kid. It was, it, we knew well before high performance surfboards came along that what kind of fin you had on the board dominated how the board performed, what it would do, its limitations or it's unlimited qualities, you know? So it's always been about the fins, and even to this day, I've proved myself out right because even with the thruster, when the thruster came on, it was, it was not the first three-fin surfboard. I beat, I beat Simon Anderson by 10 years, and so did the Bonser, the Campbell brothers with the Bonser. Mm -hmm. The thruster is not the first functional three-fin surfboard design. I came out with the two plus one with Dick Brewer, the two small side fins right. and the, 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 the regular normal center fin. And today that's the standard of the industry for most high performance longboards, if you notice. Mm -hmm. They have either a normal size center fin, they have two smaller side fins and that's what we were always working toward for because I realized when I, my first tri-fin board was made on Kauai by Dick Brewer, and it's kind of also the first down rail with no kind of a pulled in no nose outline, kind of a modern wider tail, 14 inches wide, 12 inch nose, right? Two inch difference in the tail and nose, and the wide point was still kind of up there, but it was 18 inches wide, and it was had the most bitchin' down rails that Brewer had shaped for anybody at the moment. It was made on Kauai after after the World Contest in 69. I went back to Kauai, Dick was still on Kauai. He made me a gun. Actually, he gave me one of his guns that was too small for him, and then he made me a 6.2 tri-fin. I said, Dick, I think this is gonna be the answer. And the, the fins that I had at the moment were, were half-moon fins. Wow. So they look kind of like trainer wheels. I have to admit, <laughs> they did kind of like, so that's, that's when people would start teasing me, oh, those are like trainer wheels. I said, watch this, wang, wang. I'm in a video. Uh, a McGillary Freeman film, and it was also a sequence shot in surfing. In fact, I have it on one of my boards at the, at the uh, uh, it was a sequence shot. It was like a six shot sequence of me doing a bottom turn at VLAN that Kelly Slater found at one point and says, hey man, this is why we our surfers work the way they because this guy in 1969, he found me in 1970 or 1969, 1970, excuse me, was doing this. Where did he where did he say that? He said that on in, in um, on Facebook. Or he told somebody else and he, I saw it in it, Or on it was, Instagram maybe? He's like no, a no, 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 active no, it wasn't was Instagram yet. No. No, not at all. Because I, I, I kinda was looking for it too. And then it was on a, a, a posting. He also posted another photo of me doing a bottom turn at Alamoana that he really liked. And it was like a black and white photo. And uh, Kelly's been my friend for Ever since I knew him as a kid, when I first met him, he's always been the same way. Polite, respectful, mm. uh, super talented guy. But y y you could tell, and this kid from Florida is gonna be somebody. I told myself that every time I saw him surf, he, he was like a little chess wizard, right? He knew who was in the heat, he knew how to psych him out, and he knew where to sit, and the wave would come right to him. These guys are out there. These guys, I, I, I've met, Probably all the surfers in my life who were the best surfers had this knack for attracting the wave that they need when they want it, where they want it. 
It blows my mind, bro. And I'm sorry, it doesn't. I didn't have that knack because I had to hustle to get to the spot where I knew the wave might come and I might get it. But I could be sitting, like, take Michael Hole, he's a dear friend of mine. I'd have to surf against him occasionally. It was really funny because he's four or five years my junior, and I've got way more experience in a lot of areas that he didn't have yet. He's just a snotty nosed punk tough little Hawaiian kid boy, <laughs> super talented and we go surfing sometimes and it didn't matter if it was a brand new spot an old spot the fucking wave would just come right to him it would just yeah. come right to him I'm sitting right there it's my turn he's <laughs> inside of me or outside of me he spins around there's the wave he's in the perfect spot he slots in right there I go what the fuck bro he's like oh, no, I couldn't resist right <laughs> I'm not going to waste them. I said, you're right. I can't argue with that. But damn it, bro. I've been waiting out here for half an hour. You paddle right out. And the wave comes to you. What the <laughs> fuck, bro? You know? So we had, we had this thing going on. He said, ah, no, don't worry about it, bro. And, and I realized that, you know, it was probably my anxiety or my stress level, whatever, whatever I was doing. Because if you don't, you can't, you can't bring your drama out into the water. You can't bring your issues. And I mean, that's one of the things I know about. You're going to focus on surfing, you just really got to surrender to the idea of letting go all that and just waiting and doing. Sea wave, catch wave, surf wave, right? And it's like a mantra, it's really, it's really simple, but a lot of people can't because they're thinking too much, you see the wheels churning, you know, it's like, oh, well, you know this. And what makes for a fun surf, is surfing should always be fun. You know, and the guys who can relax, do their best surfing, train, you know, there's, there's kind of a joy in the repetition of doing something over and over again really well, right? Like, I've always been what I would consider, uh, I would calculate the risk, especially when, when, when I'm starting to put my butt on the line, bigger waves and bigger and bigger waves, like they had Smirnoff. My ass was on the line, I knew that. These waves can kill you, because I see men drown. I've seen grown men cry and almost drown and not survive the whole episode, right? And one of them was a dear friend of mine, several. Anyway, so this day at Waimea, we're getting back to the Smirnoff. I'm finally bringing the point around to the Smirnoff. That morning, my friend and I, we, so we get, we get to Waimea and we see the scaffold already up and there's the banner and the scaffold and we see the set. And it's a straight closeout from, from one end of the day. It's like, and it doesn't happen that way until it's 40 foot. I know, because I've calculated. We've sat there many, many, many times watching how big the waves get or are not ready. Or, and Wyman does not even start to happen until it's 15 feet. And that means the, usually it takes so much of the volume of water, the direction, and the depth of the swell itself it has to be deep, has to be strong, and it has to fill in because the bay is like at the receiving end of a large funnel. And it, 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 if, the, if the swell is there, it'll come in, but if it's not there, it'll just tinker and flicker and... and, and it doesn't bit. feel the bottom. And no, it won't, it won't fill in. Mm -hmm. I've been there many times when sunset's already closing out, but Waimea is barely showing. It's so bizarre, mm. right? You go, what the hell? I just saw a 20 foot set at sunset, pipelines as big as it gets, and why is not even trickling in yet? What the fuck? So, certain things, certain key elements have to be in place before Wyoming even starts. So that's why they've had such a hard time over the 
the, the history of the Eddie Aikawa Memorial event, which I was invited to the first 10 years of its inaugural, I was invited to the Eddie Aikawa for the first 10 years. I was in, in 19, I think the first one was in 1979, which is a, a year, it was like a year after Eddie died where they decide, well, let's throw an event to honor his passing, right? Mm -hmm. It might have been 1980, it was 79 or 80, and I was in, in at least 10 of those. So my last invitation was in 91. That was the last time I surfed with an invitation. Mm -hmm. uh, I started to get, you know, taken off the list at a certain point because there's a lot of guys that right, rightfully so deserved their chance. And I, I didn't, Squawker, but the only thing that kind of caught me is because he's an iCal family member, Clyde surfed to the bitter end out there, and I got, what the hell, man? Throw me a bone, Clyde. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't know. This is, you know. Come on. Basically, he was so pissed at me from a long time ago for, because I used to beat him with alarming regularity in all the amateur events when we were pro <laughs> youngsters. The Duke, uh, even so the So it was Duke like Con a personal thing? It was a personal grudge. He wouldn't, he would not. He would not give me what was called the Icaw family pass if, if I paid him to. <laughs> I mean, I'm still family friend, but he's not going to let me surf out there. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I, I take. Do you still surf Waimea or when's yeah, the last I, time? Yeah, you but here, here, here's ago. I surfed there two years ago, and I, I picked and chose a day that was it was a nice clean day, and for some weird reason, there's only a, like, what I call a small crowd. There's like 12 people out. Nowadays. Whenever the surf is good and they know it's coming and, it's, and Waimea is going to break, there's 50 people. Sometimes there's eight to 10 more people on one wave, which is so ridiculously dangerous. So, and they're like, oh, they're frolicking. Oh, I made it out here. I'm at surfing Waimea. Look at me. Yeah, you know, yeah. And the, the equipment's questionable. Their experience is questionable. There was a time and place. There was a period of time when, from, say, 1971 to 1982, I'd say it was the golden period for Sunset Beach, one place in particular, where I knew everybody else in the lineup. I knew exactly wow. who was out there. The last, the, la the last latest comer to have a reputation for surfing while there was Ken Bradshaw. It's fucking Texas. <laughs> and that's a whole nother subject, Mr. Bradshaw. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna touch that right now because it, I can see some stories. And I, you know, he's my friend. But we've never really clicked. I'd have to say that. He was like, to me, a wannabe from day one. And you, you don't bully your way into the lineup, drop in on everybody, start talking shit to people, and acting like you're more local than the locals. It's not gonna fly. Of course. So that, that unfortunately accompanied his, 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 self-anointed claim as the new Mr. Sunset. The only Mr. Sunset I know is either Barry Kanapuni or Jeff Hackman. And I know that for a fact because I could not beat Jeff Hackman at Sunset if it saved my life. Yeah. He was so tuned to that wave. He won the first Duke contest when he was 16 years old. Wow. On the best equipment. He's never been less than best equipped ever except at Smirnoff. I looked at him when you're that, riding your I saw a change in the armor, bro. I saw him a little bit fussy about what he was going to ride was going to be the Eaton or the Brewer he hadn't really ridden the Brewer it was going to be a borrowed one from his roommate it didn't really fit him I knew it was a little bit too it wasn't his personal uh, board I guess somebody had broken the board that he he had uh, loaned out and they never brought it back some, some story right and I knew if he doesn't have that board I have a chance because I knew the board that he had because I rode it 
I actually how, got how the, old are you at the Smirnoff I'm at Pro? 24 years old. 24? So I'm at the peak of my, what I, 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 th I was heading toward, I was hurling toward 25 and 26. And she goes, God, what's after that 29 and then 30, I'm done. <laughs> I literally had an interview in a survey and said, yeah, I, I don't see myself competing past year 30. What a lie. I, I can beat until I was 42. <laughs> and literally. Uh, the uh, and, and so it's it's YMA is like closing out. The sets are closing out. Is there any makeable waves? I mean, there had to be. They ran. No, the no, 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 no. Here, here's the real truth. It was the biggest, cleanest surf at that size I've ever seen in my life. It does not ever get that clean. Wow. Where it's manicured. Mm -hmm. The waves are singularly, individually groomed but at a size that nobody had seen that clean before. Wow. No one. So to this the, day. When the morning. To this when, day. Who to, you're asking yes. me, you gotta not butt in when I'm asking. To this day, there's not been a cleaner, bigger day ever in the history of competitive surfing. And for that matter, the whole time I've been on the North Shore, at that size level, there's been bigger days, but not ever that clean. There's been longer, um, uh, what am I trying to say? There's been comparably sizable ways, but never ever that clean. So that opportunity, the call, the surf got better as the day went. The surf tapered off just so uh. during the whole day. And by the time I got out of, the, out of my semifinal heat, I already know that I was the best surfer out there. I looked at the finalists and I looked down the line and it says, I looked at Jeff, I looked at Sammy Hawk, I looked what they were writing, and I looked at me and I went, it's my turn. It's my turn, bro. I said that to myself and I said, it's my turn. And I went, I won. And basically, here's, here's the true story, and this is, this is a true story. There's a man named Jose Angel. This is a hero of mine. Jose Angel is, is one of these core guys, the hardcore pioneers out there. Jose Angel is the principal at, at, at the local elementary school. He's well-liked, he's an educated man, he's a beefy, hunk of a good-looking, uh, I don't know what his ethnic background was, but he was, he was a fisherman, he was one of those guys, he could fish, he could surf, he could sail, he was a waterman, with a suit on, most times, because he was the principal of the school. But Jose Angel was out, Peter Cole was out, Fred Van Dyke was out, these, these were part of the pioneer crew of guys who waited for, well, Kimo Hollinger was out briefly, Although he had, uh, he had almost drowned uh, two swells before that. But he's the guy that I told you he, he kind of had an epiphany about death and dying. And he was a fire, he was a fire captain, fireman captain at the time. He's supposed to rescue people. He almost dies in the place he rescues people. Anyway, right, right. so the surf is giant. Fred's on the beach. He's got the bullhorn already. He's, he's saying, okay, competitors gather here. We're thinking about starting. And... He turns around and faces the, the, the guys kind of uh, descending on the grass to make the big decision. And some of these guys are the rookies that are waiting for the Aussie, including Mark Richards and the, some of the Aussies. And everybody's kind of like, kind of lollygagging down to the water. Oh, they're not going to hold it. No, no. That was the general feeling of the moment. And I, I'm going, I'm not so sure, bro. Because after I saw the last close I set, I saw a set that looked like it was like the medium big range. And it was perfect. It's perfect. I, was, I had been watching Waimea from now, that moment, probably for now, the past 10 years. And I went, wait a minute, man. I just saw it. Top to bottom, squared off, fucking perfect. If you can take off far enough over, you could make that wave. 
I was certain because I made some heavy drops already at, Sun, at Waimea on, on different boards. And then I had a 9-6 nine, uh, board that I had made for a friend that I borrowed all the time. I loved the board. <laughs> Except he, he broke the skeg off of it. Or he, he broke part of the tail when he hit somebody on the, with the skeg. So I didn't, that was off the table. And then there's a 9-11 I was considering riding that another friend had that I shaped personally that I could knee paddle on. I was going to ride that. But then I had this 9-1 and I knew if I can catch the wave, I'll make the wave. If I can catch the wave. It was all a question of can you catch the wave now? But my boards were, if you look at the boards that we were making then, you compare what, it's like they were thick. They were three inches. But they were three inches. Yeah, you know, it was like three inches. Right to the right. rails. Nearly so. You know, it's the brewer. Brewers start to taper off the boards. Like for the sunset boards, the standard eight-foot board was the standard. We knew that the best board, the most operable board for sunset, all the way up to 12 to 15 feet, if necessary, was an eight-footer. Maybe an eight-six. You wanted not hedge bits, but. My best board out there that I made was an 8.4. The best boards I rode from Dick Brewer were 8.1 or 8.2. The best boards that I ever saw anybody surf on a board with Jeff Hackman of Brewer boards. The standard round pin, V bottom, wide point up, teardrop, just place basic clean, uh, clean gun shape, pulled in tail, right? Loose bottom with a classic burr fin on it. I, I, I always cut my pins down. It, it, I had one of the best, I had a magic board that nobody wanted. It was supposed to be shaped for, for Jeff Hackman. Somehow the, it, the, the, the stringer twisted a little bit and the fin was a little bit twisted too. It was just a little bit off. There's things about the board that if you had a sharp eye, you could see it. Al Chapman wrote it, but he said, ah. It's too narrow for me. You want it? So I got it from Jeff Hackman. Basically, he stole it away from Jeff. Jeff said, I'll wrote it. I don't want it anymore. And then he rides it anyway. He says, ah, you know, I, Burr, make me another one, right? So I end up with the board, and it's in my fucking yard with all the other, you know, like kind of throwaways. And I ride the board one day out of this funky day. It's like, it's called, I live on Rocky Point, but I live in this place called the, the Ozone. There's a surf spot outside. And that's where, between Camiland and Rocky Point, there's this surf spot that's kind of like the no-name misto spot where everybody paddles out and just goes out there and gets wet, smoke a doobie and go out and surf, mm -hmm. right? So that was the O zone. I don't know. I don't know what the O was really. So I go out there, and there's this guy Tommy Peterson, Michael Peterson's brother, who's visiting, and he wants to use some of my boards. He wants to try some Hawaiian-style boards. So I let him use my boards, and I go, "What am I going to ride? It's kind of fun out there. I'm going to go paddle out." I paddle out in the foot gun the eight-foot gun that nobody wants. Right, with the twisted kind of, a, kind of a weird twist. You know, it was kind of, it, was, it wasn't that bad, but it, was, it had flaws in it. Right. Plus it had been ridden by Al. It was like, if Al wrote it, it's cursed, kind of thing. Al fucking he goes, Oh, I see. I yeah, see. This, he, this thing's a piece of shit. I go, well, really? He goes, yeah, you want it? He, was, he threw it on the sand, literally at my feet. I went, okay, I'll take it. Yeah. It's free board. Somebody else will ride it, right? I checked it out. It was kind of the. It was. It was a version of a board that Dick had been refining for Jeff, the eight-foot Sunset Beach Special, that Jeff won every fucking time. He could. He could knee paddle on this thing. He could knee paddle an eight-foot surfboard. Crazy amount of volume. Oh no, 
Well, crazy amount of volume and, and, and an excellent fucking athlete. Right, sure. Who had Sunset under his fucking hip pocket. <laughs> we used to follow him around. We'd either follow Eddie to get out of danger, or we'd follow Jeff to find where the peak is. <laughs> and Jeff would just spin around like a motherfucker and just spin around on top of you and catch the wave. I'm going like, ah! I'm cringing up the face. Wind's blowing. Fuck, I'm going to die. I'm going to get nailed right here. Just spinning around, dropping in. Boom. Casual. Like a machine, bro. He was like a fucking machine. He was infuriating so precise. He fucking pissed me off for 10 years. I couldn't beat him <laughs> till that day. I saw a chink in the armor and I said, this is my, I looked at him, I went, he looks a little edgy, nervous. I've never seen him like this. I go, I think it's my day today. Right? <laughs> I knew it was my day. And so here's Jose, Jose Angel's out. He's on his 10-4 fucking 25-year-old Dick Brewer uh, elephant gun beast. It's got a concave tail. It's got displacement hull nose. It's got the fucking, it's like the steamship Mary, right? <laughs> it's like the Queen Mary. He can fucking paddle that thing. It was like a beast, right? It was like 10-6 or something like that. Something, I mean, it might have been 11-4. It's so, so big and thick. He could catch anything. So he's out in my heat, in my semifinal heat. And I'm in the corner, and I know where my takeoff spot, there's this tree on the, on the hillside near the old uh, Hawaiian burial ground, the Heiau. And there's a pine tree, and you gotta stay in there, and there's a saddle inside. You mark that spot with where you're looking at up on the hill. And if you're 20 foot that way, you're too deep, 30 feet out there, you're too far out, wow. the wave happens right where you have to sit. And if you can't pull that off, if you see a set and you, you panic, you're done, you're not, you're not gonna catch the wave. And unfortunately, if you underestimate, you'll get caught inside. So it's that game, mm -hmm. right? I'm out, this, this, the sets have sort of calmed down just a tad. But there's huge sets. I mean, when the sets come, it's blocking out the horizon. Wow. It's blocking out the horizon. You can't see past anything except the set approaching. So you're going, oh, fuck, I'm going to die. <laughs> but I'm watching Jose. Jose is about from me to that man over there. Mm -hmm. And I'm watching him. He's not panicking. And he's inside where he shouldn't be because this is running the heat. So he's that I'm, far inside of you? He's on outside, outside of, of you. Okay. Outside of me. I'm in here, say. And I'm waiting, and I'm, I'm, looking at the, I'm looking at where I'm, the lineup tree and everything. I turn around, I look outside, oh, fuck. <laughs> and I, but I don't want to panic because Jose's kind of sitting down. He's like, he's sitting up on his board. I can't sit up on my board. I'm lying down and going, I'm looking at him to get, 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 a, get an eye check, see what he does. He turns around. And I go, oh, shit. Oh, shit. I turn around too, right? I go, I don't know if I should be turning around to jump off my board to, to, to get about die or stay on top and start paddling. He starts paddling. So I go, fuck, I'm gonna start paddling too. Yeah. I didn't even see the wave. I got one wave passed and then I did turn around and look at the wave that was behind me. It was a fucking wall, a fucking mighty wall. I'm going, okay, I'm in the right spot. He's out onto the shoulder of me. He's paddling for it. I'm gonna try. I start, I get the lift, I get the jack and suddenly, I go, Jose! I go, Jose! He, goes, he looks at me, he goes, go boy! He goes like this, pulls the Queen Mary out of the position, he goes, go boy! Oh, right? shit. And I go, yeah. okay, I look at him briefly, I turn around, I'm airdropping. I'm fucking airdropping, my board's gone. Uh, my board's gone, I fall, free fall. My front foot, 
touches the tail, and my board's wiggling down the face. My front foot touches the tail. I squiggle up like this, and I somehow get my foot back on the last foot of what was left of the board. And then the, 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 the edge is set. I'm down like this. I'm thrown forward. I made that drop, but there's another one. The board goes down. It just kind of settles into this, you know, the pintail hooks. I'm married to the pintail. The uh-huh. pintail hooks in. I feel hooked in, but then it, another fucking section comes where I free fall again. Oh my God. And at this moment, I'm free falling again and somebody's paddling up the face. Guess who it is? Jerry Lopez. <laughs> Jerry Lopez is his. I remember his face. He's in the water. His eyes are this big, and he's shoving his board at me like he's gonna go. Ah! He's shoving his board at me. He bailed off his board. He's shoving his board at me. I barely miss his board. I make that drop, and I make it into the trough of the wave. And the fucking white water was as tall as this coconut tree around me. The wave broke over there. I saw it go square over there. In other words, I made the first airdrop, I made a second airdrop, and I see the wave go square. It's a fucking barrel of like, as big as a church. Jesus Christ. It was as big as the Pope's living room, like Jockley. And I saw it go, whoop. It spat at me. And then it went, bruise, and exploded. I'm going like, oh, I can't even see. I'm on the board, thank God. I missed, Jerry missed me. Fucker. I said, what the fuck are you doing? You trying to kill me? He goes, oh, I, I thought I was going to die, bro. He says, I thought I was going to go over the falls. I said, well, fuck you, bro. You almost killed me with your board. You aimed it at me. What the fuck? We got video of it the whole time. There's a picture of me dropping in with him shoving his orange board at me. Oh, I'm going to have to find it. you got to have to find it. There, yeah. There's a print of that. Sure, I'll make sure. There's a print of that. It's funny. It's hilarious. It's Jerry Lopez on his 8.6. Wow. And is Jerry, this, this is Jerry Lopez. This is the semis? This is the semis already. Jerry made it that far and didn't make it any further. Uh-huh. But Jose basically gave me the wave. Right, right. So he I made back. good use of it. Because if he would have dropped in on me, I don't know what the score would have been. Because if I hadn't, if, if somebody else dropped in and then see some guy on this side, yeah, they probably would. But it would have been way less dramatic. Right, 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 right. But he went, go, oh, boy. I remember him going like, putting the brakes on. He went, he goes, look at me, go, boy. <laughs> he uses the word boy. I was like, fuck. Yeah, is, he, is he older than you? Or oh, was Jose he? Angel was, yeah, he was like uh, at least 10, uh, 20, maybe 20 years older than me. Oh, really? Because I did, I wanted to ask you, I don't want to interrupt, I wanted <sighs> to ask you about what do you think about his death? Because, you know, a lot of people don't oh, know. Oh, you know about his death? Yeah. Yeah, he I, died as uh, Diving, right? Diving, black coral. And, uh, but like some, so some say he jumped in like too deep of water. Do you want to unclip? Yeah, I got to go pee. Oh, sure. No, he he went um, he went down for the classic. I'm gonna go get one more tree and I'll be back. All right. Yeah. Right. They never found his body. He said as he's walking away. Yeah. So that's just that that's that's a true story that not many people know about. You get the Jose. Kind the gift, of. the gift he was, from he wasn't even supposed to be out. Right. But they were out because they don't give a fuck. They say, oh, "We don't care. You're running in a stupid contest. <laughs> we're out here because we're men." Oh, he know? wasn't. He wasn't in the contest. No. Oh shit! No. I didn't know that. Jose Angel, Peter Cole, Fred Van Dyke were all these hardcore guys that waited for it. Kimo Hollywood, these guys that wait all year to write my man. Right. So they're not going to stop for some contest. They were denied the contest, and he said, "Ah, you guys, we, we'll give you room. We'll give you room, but we're out here." Fuck yeah. yeah. <laughs>
that's epic. I had no idea. And nobody about would tell that. him otherwise too. The water patrol ain't gonna come out there and say, "Hey, you guys gotta go in." Not to Jose Angel. It's like, what? Yeah. You'd yeah, be like, yeah. what? And you don't tell the fire captain, Kimo Hollinger, you gotta go in. <laughs> this, this is not gonna work. Wow, that's cool. <laughs> what a good little insight to that story. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. All so, this yeah. time, I'm assuming that he's just in the contest in the heat. No, you. no, he wasn't in the contest. Right. He was just out there surfing. Just, just. Just because it was, was big and it was, it was clean big and gnarly, and that they wait, they wait years for that kind of a day to happen, right? Right. So who can deny them that? Yeah. Right. These guys are the, the, they're the heroes of the North Shore. They're the real heroes of the North Shore. They're not, they're not me and my little fucking pro debut or whatever. You know, trying to win some money today. <laughs> I, by the way, I only won five grand, which is a lot. It was Back like then? fifty grand. Yeah, it must have been. Yeah, huge. and it was a beautiful. Epic full moon night. It was Thanksgiving night. Had a beautiful dinner. I lived on the beach already. I, oh no, excuse me. I lived at the beach. We had a beautiful turkey dinner. Um, my wife was so excited. She was so happy. I made her happy for once. She was like, "When are you gonna win one? When are you gonna beat Jeff? I hate this every time. Every time." It's like, it's just like finally shut her up. <laughs> beat Jeff. Yes. It was my well, big wait goal. A minute, wait a minute, that was the semis. So, so tell us about the final. No, that's it, bro. That's all. I won. I literally won the contest on that. The merits of that one way because after that, it was like, it was like cream cheese. It was like, oh, cut, really? yeah. Oh, all wow. the ways I got were less bigger, but I was, I was consistent through my semi. So that was the apex of the. That was the apex of my experience out there. Uh -huh. And after that, I was like a machine. I caught three ways in each in, in, in each my semis and my final event, and I won on the basis of my earlier performance. I'm almost certain. I was the best surfer out that day, the best. And I'll stand on it. That, I'm, that's my story, I'm sticking to it. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. Uh, great story, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome, bro.